Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us today is financial advisor, Mark Dudica of Dudica Retirement Group. Thanks for joining me, Mark. Thank you. Glad to be here. So one of my favorite parts and the way I start most of my podcasts, if you've listened to any of them yet, is to ask my attendees, my guests, we want to hear about your journey. It's very interesting to our listeners, we know, to get the different stories because each one is a little bit unique on how you got started in this business. All right. So way back in the mid-90s, um, I graduated from uh, University of Nebraska. I had a finance degree. But back then, it was, um, you know, the smile and dial and uh, the cold call cowboy. I, mean, I was a complete failure. Um, did not like making phone calls like that. Just felt like I was being intrusive. And so that lasted about a year. And as I got kind of tired of that job, I became a recruiter and did that for two years. And uh, then I found out about a marketing group out of California that had this, uh, they actually had the recruiters go out and uh, learn the, the, their particular marketing plan so that we could sell it. And I thought this was the, you know, the, the best thing since sliced bread. I just said, I need to get in as an advisor in this group. Uh, unfortunately, in Nebraska, Omaha did not have really the, the, the businesses that fit that niche. So they had a guy out in Pennsylvania that was looking to join as well. So they kind of partnered us, partnered us together, two people who had not ever met each other. And it worked really well for about two years, but then that partnership kind of dissolved. So then I uh, went off on my own, which is how Dudica Retirement Group came to be and did that since. I was looking for a new home that was more attuned to, you know, keeping us out of trouble and out of the news and hence Cambridge. So I wish I'd have found it earlier. So uh, switched over to Cambridge and have been there ever since. I'm currently residing in Nashville and I commute to, to Pennsylvania as well as up to Chicago with uh, another Cambridge rep. And that all happened because of my wife's a Southerner. And um, if you know anything about Southern women, it's hard to get them out of their natural habitat. So I had to make a choice on that. And so, yes, yeah, so the commuting is what I do now, uh, back and forth. But we have a couple advisors down here with Cambridge that, that join uh, here in Nashville area. And so, yeah, it's, it's working out pretty well. So that's, that's kind of my journey. It's a little long story there. So forgive me if I went long, but, uh, yeah, it's got a lot of little rabbit holes. It does. So there's a little bit to unpack there. So that leads me to a question though. Talk about some of the immediate benefits that you felt moving from a captive environment, wirehouse to the independent space, even though it took a little bit for you to find your hopefully permanent home here at Cambridge, but at right. any independent space, like what, what was that like? Did it feel risky? Um, was it just a pretty clear road for you from a visionary perspective? Well, I, you know, it was such a different animal, but having a, a marketing plan that we had at the time. So having that day to day, Hey, this is what we need to do to get in front of the people and, and help them was really was really good. And of course, then after that, it was, you know, we had really anything we wanted to do with, with whatever investment at that point, um, which was nice. It wasn't like we were being told to, you know, this is what we've got. Here's what you need to do this, that, or the other thing. So it was, you know, the overall culture is definitely, I mean, it's a, it's a night and day difference between the two. And if I go back in time, but that goes back such a long, long period. Um, but yeah, it was it was nice to have that just, hey, you can do what you want when you want to do it. 
And if you didn't do it, you know, we, we had that before, uh, even with the captured environment, if you didn't do it, you weren't going to make it. But, um, but now having, you know, hey, I got a plan and whatever I want to do after that, I'm not really going to be told to do this, that or the other once I get the dollars in the door. And that was that was refreshing. Yeah. The other thing I heard was your experience working in the back office for all intents and purposes. I know you said you were in recruiting, but many times I run into financial professionals who are for some period of their career, financial professionals, and then they move into like a senior leadership team position at the back office. Not unfrequent, but it is becoming more frequent. And I would think it's a benefit. So that's where I'm going with this. Did you find it beneficial to have spent some time in the back office of a broker dealer before you went out on your own as an independent financial professional? You know, I I do because I what you know interestingly enough when you we take our seven or whatever licenses that we have to get into this industry, you know, it's not enough in my opinion to really make you. You can do a good job, but I think you do need to have a deeper dive to do a really, really good job. Um, and it did. It, it opened up a lot of things, things that I don't even use today, but at least I have the knowledge of it. I, we used to ran the options in the margin desk. And so, you know, it was it was really getting to know a lot of the equity side of it, or at least the back, the, the how it works. But but going through a lot of them, there was just, you know, that wasn't the only thing I touched. And, and that was good. I was glad I got to do a lot of other um, you know, jobs within that world. But yeah, I did. It, the knowledge I gained, I felt much more comfortable with. And um, so going back into and getting in front of clients, it gave me a lot more confidence than I would have had otherwise. I would have been, you know, I, I, don't, I probably would have been okay, but the industry is pretty easy to get into. At least it was when back then, you know, one test and you're in. And I've um, watched it happen only a couple of times, but I think maybe a, a nice runway is an internship program like ours, the next step program where, you know, maybe they think they want to be a financial advisor from the, out of the gate, but spending some amount of time getting to know a little bit more about the inner workings, even through an internship program can be a nice path forward for people to become financial advisors. So hopefully we can do more with that in the future. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it is, it's almost like a, you know, a plumber, you know, you don't just start the first day plumbing. <laughs> you got to go through a lot of knowledge to get to the point where you could do what you need to do. And I, I think that's, that's a really good thought and, and, uh, and uh, practice that you have. Yeah, great. So let's shift gears a little bit. Your niche is retirement planning. And one of your areas of specialty is pension retirement planning in particular. I believe your website quotes you saying retirement planning is more than just a financial issue. Can you break that down for us? What does that mean to the listeners? Well, yeah, and our, it might be niche well to us. Um, and, you know, in Chicago, as well as in Philadelphia, we kind of work the same marketing plan. And, and really what we're looking at is mass affluence, companies that have, um, you know, more blue collar uh, utility workers who have pensions as well as 401ks. And a lot of these guys, and they, a lot of them will tell you, they're like, listen, I've been told what to do my whole life. And once I retire, you know, they have an idea that they want to do X, Y, or Z. But what I found, and this is, I wouldn't have had this answer when I first started or within the first five, six years, but, you know, 20, 30 years down the line here, I find some, and, and I've seen the history of it, where guys who just retire and think they're going to sit around, I find them to wilt away quicker or mentally check out quicker than the guys who, you know, try to go do something else for a little while. So we, 
encourage them, like, listen, yeah, take some time off. A lot of these jobs that they have that they're retiring from are physical work. You know, they're they're pretty beaten up. Um, but we always encourage them to find something else to do, whether it's charitable or what have you there. Because again, it's these are this isn't a you know a somebody who's retired who started three businesses who's probably going to go out and find something else to do to keep themselves busy with either charitable work or something of that nature. Not that these guys don't do the charity work, but um, but yeah, we want to try to keep them engaged with wor the world, not just sit around and watch the grass grow. Because again, I've seen. Uh, I wish I could say I didn't, but I've seen a few of them where I think it just it quickened their demise by sitting around thinking that's what they really wanted to do. The social aspects of any job are, are phenomenal. And I think within that field that we work with, it's almost like a sports team. You know, they go to work, they hang around at the tables in the beginning to get their, you know, what's going on. And, you know, if you ask any athlete that's retired from any professional world or even college, high school will say, you know, that's what I miss the most. You know, the game's fun, but the camaraderie and hanging out so that we try to keep them engaged, you know, and it, it's difficult because they don't want to listen sometimes, but, but try to keep them, you know, Hey, think about this. You, you, obviously the financial is important. If you don't have the money, it's not going to work, but, you know, think about other things you want to do to, uh, to keep yourself engaged socially. Um, a few guys still go back to their garages every morning just to have coffee with them. You know, that's what they do. And, and uh, I don't know if that was anything we told them to do. It's just the nature of it. But we tell that story so that people can kind of get an idea. Hey, you need to do this. Do something to keep yourself engaged. Great advice. A little life coaching along with some financial coaching. Right? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. It's great. Uh, what about the younger generations? How critical do you think it is for them to understand the importance of retirement planning overall? And do you get a diff is there a different conversation potentially with those as you run into them? Yeah, and we, you know we don't get a lot. You know, we do workshops, and the, the the attendees that that show up to these workshops are obviously the the older folks looking to see you know the retirement options, and and our workshops are all geared towards education. We want to have them understand how their plans work, their pensions, uh, 401ks, all, all of that. So we don't get a lot of young attendees, but when we do come across them, um, we're always very <laughs> quick to say, look, the pension, you know, it's, it's a dinosaur. It's very, it's going away. You're, a lot of the guys that are younger guys that come in to see us, their pension's already been frozen. They're, they're pretty much already on 100% 401k. And so trying to help them understand that it's on their shoulders and yeah, the new car sounds great, uh, but try to think of paying yourself in the future um, and, and talk to some of the older guys, you know, that are at their particular job sites or whatever. Cause there's, that's the nice thing. We do hear that a lot. You know, some guy will come in, young guy goes, well, so-and-so told me I needed to do this. So I just started doing this right off. So some of the uh, older folks helping the younger folks out is nice to hear, but the conversation is, you know, you're really going to be on your own here um, and, and you need to start thinking that way as opposed to that, hey, the company's going to do this or the company's going to do that, even if the pension still exists, because more than likely it'll be frozen eventually the way that uh, the business world's working. Yeah. Um, your website also talks about personal goals, like we talked about earlier, personal goals and financial goals besides staying engaged at the time of retirement. And the way that you articulated the advice you give them regarding staying busy. Any other personal goals that you feel like connect well with the advice situation that you sit down with them and talk about? You know, I think it goes back to what we had said, you know, just just 
obviously find something that keeps you engaged in your life. We're always just encouraging, you know, find something to do, whether it's fishing. I don't, I don't care what it is. Yeah. I just think it's the not keep, keep busy somehow mentally, some way, shape or form is, is really comes down to that. So keeping the, uh, encouraging them to stay busy and also maybe discouraging them from making some initial decisions that affect their financial future maybe is the other thing, right? Where you're, you're hearing them talk about what they want to do and then you can't tell them no, but maybe giving them the pros and cons to what they're thinking. Correct. Yeah, that that's for certain. And that, that's generally, uh, you know, about a dollar for every person that wanted to pay off their mortgage with their 401k when they still owe 150,000, uh, new cars, uh, nice new cars, uh, you know, the things that, you know, this large sum of money that they come into at one time seems inexhaustible to a lot of individuals. That's our job is to educate that, yes, this can be easily eroded uh, quickly if you do foolish things with it. So that is that is an interesting uh, conversation. We've we've had multiple, hey, let's here's another idea, as opposed to paying off the mortgage, let's do this quite often. But, um, and I get it, it's a mental thing where, hey, I'm in retirement, why would I have a mortgage? But no, that's that's fairly common. Uh, so yeah, there is some some highly <laughs> enthusiastic encouragement to not do certain things post-retirement or at least immediate post-retirement. Most retirees, their mindset is, I want to spend more now, more active, I can do more things, spend less later. The, the issue there is, as we all know, is uh, medical costs certainly aren't going lower. And so, and then of course, how long are you going to live, you know, and, and there's just so many variables that play into it. So software that we use helps us kind of show that in a uh, uh, paper form, not too detailed. Most people get it. We, we always have storytelling. I forgot who Nick Murray, I think wrote that book, Storytelling. And, and it's great if you can get those pictures. And Tony's really good with this, with drawing a uh, cup. And you're taking money from this cup, but you got to pour, you got to fill it back up before you can, you know, run out of, of the the cup of coffee or the the you know cup of money or whatever. But it but it is interesting. So you do have to to really kind of make sure you you know know your client to understand how, are they able to understand something on paper, verbally, or does it need to be visual or all three? And if we have to do it ten times before they get it, then that's what we have to do. But uh, but it is a to your point or earlier, yeah, we do have to pull people back in that initial retirement and uh, from doing crazier things than they probably should. We talked a little bit about some characteristics already of what I perceive the ideal client to be for you, but um, are there any other characteristics that the ideal client look has for your firm? And have you ever had to turn somebody down from working with them because you didn't see the characteristics that you were hoping to find? You know, interesting, most, like, not to say that we don't have the outliers there, the folks that are referrals from some of our retirees uh, from the companies that we actually uh, target. And I have had a few that, I, you know, after a few, they, they became a client and then realized that, you know what, this is not the, the niche that we are kind of looking for there. So as I said earlier, the, the mass affluent is kind of our, our client, depending on how you define that, you know, I've seen different... Uh, numbers that, that define that. But I would say our clientele is anywhere from 
you know, 250 to 300,000 in investable assets all the way up to about a million and a half to 2 million. Uh, more in the, I would say the, if you average it out, it'd be about 750. But just more, uh, you know, like a, a more of a blue collar mentality, salt of the earth type of individuals that, you know, they, they do, they put their trust in you. They'll tell you that. But they are, they're just honest people that will tell us what they, what they're looking for and what they want. And, um, but they do trust and, and that's nice. And, and I've got some other referrals to other folks and some people, even from the industries that we, we target that they, they I think they want to ride the, they want to steer it more than, than they want to, uh, you know, be the owner of the company that owns the boat. They want to be the guy behind the, the ship. And when they're constantly asking for us to do different things than what we had decided to do initially, we're we're usually fairly, it's usually a sign to us that this probably isn't going to work out long-term. The other side of that is, is the folks that, as we continue to send out, you know, letters of excessive withdrawals, that's something we've had for unfortunately too long where folks are taking too much money and consistently doing that. So we have our excessive withdrawal letters and we don't wanna, you know, just throw them to the wolves, if you will, but we know where this is leading. So we have to kind of tell them, hey, this is what's what's happening there. Um, I don't know if we've ever seen anyone that we knew initially, there's no way to know that, that this person is gonna do such things. So I think, unfortunately, we, a lot of times it, it happens after we create the, uh, the relationship and then, you know, there's that, hey, I don't know if I'm the financial advisor for you. Um, you know, it's a tough conversation. Thankfully, we only had to have it a few times, but, um, but yeah, we, you know, and I, what my fear is, is with folks is, is that it's going to turn into a compliance nightmare and, uh, where they're accusing us of X, Y, and Z. And I've had people, you know, uh, well, I lost all this money. And I said, well, you took out 80,000, your accounts net up 15. So I, I, I think you're missing the point here of what has happened. Thankfully, none of that's ever gone further than that, but, um, but long story short, that's where we're, yeah, that's never really turned them down initially. I guess it's just a matter of learning it. So maybe we're too trusting and we don't see through the, <laughs> some of the things that we probably should see, but, but uh, we just haven't yet. It might also be a benefit of the niche that you're in very different than potentially just broad servicing of any investment advisory client that walks in the door. Correct. Um, yeah, because, I think that is true. I think yeah. we are, they're all different individuals, but as a whole, they have a different, they have a very similar mindset for the most yeah. part. So that does yeah. help. And they're coming to you for a specific purpose for sure. Correct. Yeah. With your niche being retirement planning, what do you think retirement planning looks like into the future? Is it different five years from now than it is today? Do you think about those things? Any then coming down the pike that from your perspective, being a financial professional that services this segment, that you may have to change or that you think we're all going to have to change? You know, I, I don't see anything changing in the, you know, in the big, big picture. I do see with tax laws changing towards Roth uh, conversions, that, that nature. I think you're going to see a lot more of that happening for a lot of folks, which I think is a wise thing to do, considering what our tax rates are now, what they more than likely will be later on. Um, so, but, you know, in the big picture of it, I, I don't, I think it's just still a matter of save, 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 uh, use the 401ks combination Roth and, and traditional aspects of it, I guess, for most folks, depending on circumstances. As we said earlier, I think 
the pensions, you know, I've, I've known one company that has reinstated a pension uh, and it was, it was shocking. Um, you know, most of them it's gone, it's been gone. They're, they're not putting it in. And so therefore it's just, Hey, you know, it's all on you keep working, keep doing the things you need to do, but you've got to, to make that commitment to the, to those 401ks. And, and that's, that's, that's a really our advice to everyone uh, who doesn't have any excess dollars you know, max that out first. It's the easiest and, and best way to go. And then if you get past that, God bless you. Let's let's look at other options to save more elsewhere, you know, unless you have to have liquidity sooner than later, then of course that, that changes that narrative. Yeah, I think uh, maybe what will change a little bit as it relates to that part of the conversation is we will soon be in a world where there are no, there's nobody left that had a pension. <laughs> they don't know any different. No, it's a different generation uh, mm -hmm. and your conversation will be different with them, perhaps. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, Mark, you're a member of our Cambridge Cap Advisory Council, and I want to thank you for your contributions to that. Our advisory councils at Cambridge are very important. It helps us figure out where we're going uh, into the future. For our listeners, Cap is the Cambridge Asset Allocation Platform. That's our turnkey advisory platform. Mark, what can you share about the work of the council and what you've learned so far as an active member? Well, you know, what I like about the council is that any, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good group of people, very diverse in its, and everybody's use of CAP, which is nice because you hear things that you would probably never understand. You know, I, there's a few things I've learned, didn't know existed only because somebody else uses a different portion of CAP than I, than I currently do. But what's nice is, you know, Laura, and they, they're all willing to listen and they take, they take it to heart and they're always looking to improve anything that they can do. And they're very honest when they say, you know what, that just can't be done. Or, you know what, just, you know, put on your patient pants. They're going to be here a while before that gets done. Um, but at least you have an idea of what it is. And then any constantly evolving with new advisory uh, companies that are bringing in, it just makes our lives easier as advisors. You know, if you're, we're in a relationship world, um, I, I will be the last to tell you that I should be out there, you know, constructing portfolios and picking individual securities, things of that nature. So having those, those companies to, you know, do that uh, heavy work helps me out to, to engage in the client and, and do the things that need to be done there. Because as we said earlier, you know, our business, we're a lot of, it's a lot of psychological uh, counseling, especially now with the markets being beaten up so, so badly. So quickly here, the inflation coming up, you know, we haven't even had to have an inflation conversation for how many decades it feels. So there's just a lot of handholding now that I, you know, I certainly wouldn't be able to do otherwise. But the advisory council is constantly looking at things to, you know, improve, to change. Just because it exists doesn't mean it's in its best form. Um, and then voting on or, or coming up with ideas on how do we get younger people in, as we talked about earlier, you know, well, the, the key to that is to get um, inexpensive initial platforms where a small dollar can go in to start folks up, get them on the, the train of investing with systematic ideas. And that's that's been, I think the advisor council was pretty big in, in getting that together and getting that started. So that's been that's been nice. So I do think, you know, all the councils that exist, I think every one of them, I'm sure, has done some some things that help. You know, I think it's good that Cambridge does that, doesn't rely on their own internal folks to making, hey, this decision seems to be the best. You, you got to go to the end user to figure out if it's going to 
work, if it's going to be uh, utilized, just because it works doesn't mean it's going to be utilized, those types of things. So, yeah. Yeah, the industry's been talking for a good 15 years or so about this big evolution from the traditional advisor directed, to your point, advisors building their own portfolios and, and how that would that evolution would move that into a third party type of a situation. And we've watched it happen much slower. It wasn't a huge shift, but I will say, again, it's kind of back to generational that the new advisor, many, not all, there's never one answer, especially at Cambridge with our flexibility, but um, advisors who are newer to the business do spend more time building their skill sets around being the trusted advisor versus the money manager and utilizing the resources cap or otherwise that they have available to them in that respect. So I, we do see a lot of good things coming from that environment, which is why it's been so important for us to have that council in place. To your point, probably one of the biggest, there's been lots of valuable input, but you brought it up, the biggest assistance the council could do for us was to help us build that small account solution. Because again, there's not one set of rules. Some of our advisors choose to never work with somebody that doesn't have any money yet. But we know that the younger advisors, if you don't capture them in the early stages, are going to end up working with someone else um, because they're not just going to pick up at the time where they suddenly make six figures and go out looking for someone new at that point. They're going to work with people they've already built the trust with. So thank you very much for your assistance on building our small account solution. I think it'll make a big difference purely in a financial planning environment where they've got small dollars to invest, but there's other financial planning needs that are there. You can combine small account solution with financial planning services and eventually help you know, be one of the reasons why that younger investor feels like they've achieved success financially. Right. Yeah. And I think one of it doesn't, you know, our, our, our clientele, I've had a few, uh, not a lot, not more. I, I'd like to have more, <laughs> but the engagement with your, uh, since we're retirement planning, most of our money's qualified. We have retirement, they're beneficiaries. You want to engage with the beneficiaries as well. Obviously the generation transfer, transfer of this wealth will eventually happen. It's going to happen to all of us. But to be able to work with the kids who might not have the dollars to to go out there and, and, you know, not certainly a target that a lot of folks will look at, but at least you're you're engaging the kids and, and you've got, um, you know, the ability that, hey, if the parents do pass, when they pass, you know, you're, you're engaged with the kids and hopefully you can give them good advice as opposed to just going off and and paying off, uh, you know, cars and things of that nature that might might be better long term debt than than it would be to to waste a uh, retirement asset on. Obviously, IRS worlds have changed, so we've got 10 years to take these dollars out, but there's ways to, you can use that to, to still create generational wealth um, as opposed to just, hey, take all the money and spend it willy-nilly right away. So it does help engage the second, uh, the, the beneficiaries that we have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great advice. Uh, so, Mark, we're nearing the end of our podcast. My other favorite part, besides hearing how you got started, is convincing our listeners that there is life after work for financial advisors. Cause I think sometimes other people um, potentially who are considering getting into our business think all we do is work, work, work. So talk about your hobbies and your interests. What do you do in your free time? Well, I, so I'm late to the game in the, in the parent world. So uh, I've got an eight and a 10 year old. So I'm kind of constantly engaged with them with soccer and, and uh, basketball and just all these other things. Um, I'm still playing hockey in a few leagues. So I grew up playing hockey and, 
and it, we really, it's not, it's more of, uh, you know, beer drinkers with a hockey problem, I guess, is more of what it is than anything <laughs> else. But um, yeah, I mean, you could play a whole tournament, play four games in a weekend and gain, gain a couple pounds. It doesn't make sense. But then you realize, yes, I know I, why that happened. Um, <laughs> but uh, so doing that, uh, still like to golf. And then we, we do some boating and, and that. So just, and vacationing is, is you know, if I could do that 100%, I certainly would. Obviously, that's not... Uh, uh, possible, but uh, we, you know, just constantly, we want our girls to experience a lot of the world, a lot of the country, more more than just you know their their little area of the world. So, uh, you know, traveling, getting around, having them try every sport they can try, uh, which is entertaining for me. You know, right now I'm enjoying that. It's it's amazing how kind of psyched up I get to watch them do that stuff and and try different things. So, uh, but that's it. Yeah, just kind of the typical, you know, golf boat, you know kids that type of thing. <laughs> no grandkids yet and hopefully not for many 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 years so. <laughs> I uh, hate to burst the bubble um, if that's where I'm headed with this but um, eight and ten means you've got a good eight to ten years of less boating and golfing for you and more sitting somewhere it yep. might be a sport you might have a dancer or a gymnast or you know but the, but they'll be active in something likely. And speaking from experience, I think I spent a good 10 years in gyms and on, uh, you know, in coliseums and that kind of thing. Love and live every minute of it because when it's gone, it's gone. It's gone. (laughs) So, uh, Mark, before we close um, here, any last words of wisdom for our listeners that we didn't cover today in your interview? No, I, uh, I, you know, I think. You know, anybody who's listening, I'm sure they're in Cambridge Nation. So they're, I, my opinion, they pick the best that are out there. Um, uh, you know, keep keep looking at all the different platforms they have, depending on what you do. But uh, but I've been very happy with the cap, obviously, and uh, uh, it makes life easier and, and makes things, uh, you know, transitionally easier down the road. So it's it's good. But no, I think I think uh, my my wisdom is not much. But so I don't know if I've given it. <laughs> It's been great. Thanks for thanks for uh, joining Cambridge Stronger and being a part of the podcast and for being a part of Cambridge and trusting us with your business. Well, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.